Hello, friends, and welcome to Azizi Podcast. I have a small favor to ask from you all. Please subscribe to my podcast on the app that you're currently using to listen to it. It will greatly help me out, and it will make it convenient for you to listen to my new episodes every time they come out. Also, I have a YouTube channel. Just search for Azizi Podcast on YouTube, and you will be able to see my conversations in a video format. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Anyways, thanks so much for listening. I so greatly appreciate it. My next guest is Eric Pollen. Eric is an Emmy Award winner senior producer at Five Films Incorporated. Eric produced, wrote, directed, edited, and field produced a brand new signature series of programming for both Fox Sports and Premier Boxing Champions. Eric worked closely and extensively with the former heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder for his Fight Camp series on PBC and Fox. Enjoy the show, everybody. real life how's it going eric hi how are you i'm doing very well thank you and first of all i'd like to send my appreciation to your hoodie or a a, a shirt that says sounds of anarchy it's one of my oh, favorite, yeah. one of my oh, favorite yeah. shows <laughs> you know what's great about this shirt uh, on the back they they went through the trouble of making up every single chapter of the sun anarchy uh-huh. so there's one that's in New Jersey. I think there's like 50 chapters. If you, I'll show you really quickly. Sure, sure. I'll stand up for you. But it's like it has all the chapters. Wow. Of the <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I know. So I mean, especially because licensed. Yeah. The club is not existent, right? But right, they still of have course, all of that. <laughs> I love the fact that they had a New Jersey one. I know. On some of the shows, they actually had some of the like. I think that guy Happy came from another club and. Right, right. That's, that's funny. You like the show. No, that remember the whole season from Ireland with the I Irish like the chapter? Ireland season. No one liked it. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. They, they just they even changed the intro <laughs> to be more Irish. Remember that <laughs> the intro yeah, song? And they shot it differently too. The way that they shot it was yeah. They shot it a little grayer and a little darker. I liked it. It's like the no one likes the wire on the, the season two of the wire yeah yeah with the with the greek guys and the uh polish guys and the, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, the sh- and the shipping i love that season well you know the story behind that second season right is that no. uh, well as far as i heard and it's just like based on my memory but when, after the first season when everyone's had realized yeah. like oh this is actually something really good here we're having something really good right. here and the actors i guess and their and their people realized that they they sort of went on a strike the main actors and and because of that they just completely switched the story to this shipment docks with polish oh, that's people funny. <laughs> so then they i guess they've been negotiating through that through the whole season and you know they, they went back to their storyline but that was uh yeah but sounds of anarchy was uh i was in uh second year of college and that was the show that i was binging yeah. uh well not studying and like i actually I think <laughs> failed failed one of my exams <laughs> because i was just watching too too much of sons of anarchy but yeah so oh, <laughs> eric Pollen, the the way how i knew it know about you my friend kuran batia who was also on my podcast he texted me and he said hey i know this guy uh he he's a producer he worked on you know the best documentaries you know before the fight the fight camp videos uh video series um, you should talk to him. I think it'd be really cool for you to, to talk to him. He was a guest and you were a guest on his show as well. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, let's do this. And I texted yeah, you. Yeah, we work together. 
yeah, so I'm, I'm, I was super excited. And, and, you know, I was before this show, before like we actually started recording, I was pacing behind my room. I usually pace before my podcast, just thinking about like what I want to talk about. But I put on the, the Wilder uh, Fury 2, <laughs> the series. And, and for some reason, I got so pumped because you, you worked on that as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was uh, one of the producers of that show. I was the producer in New York. We have a producer in each camp. Um, who, you know, is with the fighters for 30 days. Um, mm -hmm. And then I kind of coordinate it all and get with the editors and kind of come up with the storylines based on what we're getting and uh, mm -hmm. kind of shape the whole show with the editors. And then I write it. Uh, it's a great process. It's, it's a, and especially when you have two guys like Fury and Wilder, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, who are so big physically uh and in grandeur you know their 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 stature is just so amazing and great big personalities and that was as fun as 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 you could have on a show like that i mean and the access was great i mean they were just wonderful so mm -hmm. so and you've you've worked on several great projects uh, I, i've looked yeah. through your through your portfolio and through your resume you you've been involved with uh, many pacquiao and, and mayweather and you've done yeah, some previous Deanna to wilder what, can, can you just list some of those so that our viewers can actually like realize the whole importance of your your personality as well and who you are as a, sure. as I a mean, professional uh, from the from the boxing standpoint i go back to uh one of the first things i i ever worked on was um a sweet pea Whitaker fight and he was fighting um oh god what was his name 1990 it was freezing cold uh davis aaron davis uh aaron davis was the champ probably a little before your time <laughs> and his father was his trainer and his nickname was the tumbler and he had he had fought too and he did backflips and we shot him in the ring doing backflips he was in his 50s. Father could do back. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so that was the first, one of the first things I ever worked on. We went running with him about six in the morning up in the Poconos in the snow. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful shots. And um, God, that's a long time ago. And we went to that fight. We wound up, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I sat with Jim Lampley after the fight. Oh, cool. Over the course of time, we did a lot of stuff. I worked for a company called Black Canyon Productions. We did a lot of, a lot of stuff with HBO Sports. And I wound up doing a lot of boxing features. I wound up doing about six features in a row with Lennox Lewis. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of fun with him over the years. And, um, and then we did uh, Trinidad and De La Hoya, which wound up being a great fight. Um, we, we did the Felix side for an early HBO countdown show, kind of before um, they do a half-hour show, you know, promoting the fight before 24-7. And you'd go down and you'd spend three days, and we spent three days with Tito, and he was wonderful. Uh, God, that was a great fight. And this is, you know, and then we did Holyfield, and, and we did Holyfield and uh lennox twice for two of the countdowns we did got when we, when we go back we did we did an early thing in the early 90s in 92 with holyfield and holmes evander mm -hmm. holyfield and larry holmes right. and we went out to vegas the week of the fight and we followed them around as much as possible it was like mm -hmm. a, a an early foray into all access that aired 
right before the fight, uh, Jim Lampley voiced it. It was like a seven minute piece. And we were in the, you know, we were in Holyfield's room and Larry Holmes room was a big suite with him playing the baby grand piano. And so I've been doing this a long, long time. And then we got into these, you, you mentioned uh, Pacquiao Mayweather. I did the countdown shows for them. Right. We did, we did three fights in a row with, with Floyd's company. And then, mm-hmm. And then I got back into boxing with Scott Boggins and Craig Genest in five films. And um, we're doing these shows for Fox Sports and the PBC. And God, I miss them right now. But uh, we, we did a bunch of these countdown shows. And then we started this thing called Fight Camp. And for the first one, it was for the Mikey Garcia, Errol Spence fight. And I went out to Riverside, California. I spent 30 days with Mikey with Mikey mm-hmm. and his crew and Mikey mm-hmm. was just wonderful. What a great subject. What a, what a fun crew to work with. And, um, the access was wonderful. His people were wonderful. He was wonderful. And, uh, from then on, I, I stayed back in New York. Um, they, we just discussed it and we were bringing in a couple new people and these guys have been out in the field since a guy named Jeff Newton and a woman named Lanny Levine. Um, who have been with us for the whole run and um, they have they've been our field producers and I've been in New York it was Thurman and Pacquiao was the second one the third one was Errol Spence again with Sean Porter mm-hmm. um, and then we did Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz and then we did Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury so mm-hmm. they've they've been amazing I mean really really fun to work with really great access. And at a certain point, the crews kind of become part of the whole camp. You know, you're right. there for every day and people and get comfortable around, you yeah, know, you around the crew. And then, the, and then the, the conversations become comfortable. And, mm-hmm. and you see that in the second run with Errol Spence. And in the second run with Deontay Wilder, he had the same crews there mm-hmm. and it was so much more comfortable than the first time around. And you, and so, you, you yeah. Right. So I, I I'd love to return to that, but before sure. we're gonna dive into the to the uh, technicalities of that, I'd like to talk about you as well as as to how did you start your career as a professional and what drove you to sports and whether you took any breaks from that and how yeah. did it all start? So I I loved sports my my whole life and always thought that I would do something in sports and I needed a class for. Um, going into my sophomore year at college and I called my mom and my mom, um, the two best pieces of advice she's ever given me is take a television production class. Uh Uh, and in high school, she told me to take a typing class and use it every single day, every single day, you know, with the computer, you thank goodness for both things because (laughs) You know, the, the television production class was wonderful. It was a theory class mm-hmm. and great professor. And it led me down my path. And at Rutgers College, where I went to Rutgers University, um, I you have to take an internship. It's part of the program. So I wound up getting an internship at CNN Sports. Oh, that's pretty um, cool. With a guy named Nick Charles, who was a huge proponent of boxing, who's passed away and but he was a wonderful influence on me and Dan Patrick, who's gone on to do many things. Uh, Fred Hickman, uh, Gary Miller, um, Terry Chick. These guys were like mentors to me. They, they taught me so much. I would stay 
after I was done, we'd finish the show at midnight and I'd stay till three in the morning learning more. And it was just mm -hmm. such a, I went down to Atlanta and I worked at CNN sports. I used to have a nightly sports show that mm -hmm. was at the time. And this is going to sound hard to believe. It was a better show than sports center. Um, <laughs> it was a great half hour full of highlights and fun and kind right. of, you know, and they competed against sports center. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, and you didn't interns, go to school. We really, you didn't go I, to school for TV or, or, or film, no, right? No, I you did. did. I thought you went to like, for like a journalism though. Yeah. Journalism and mass media. It was, Got it. it was okay. all under one, one roof. And at Rutgers, they didn't, they didn't have, they had a lot of theory classes in television production, but there was, there was uh, one that was, One that was a lot of studio production, one that was like a field production course that was pretty neat. And then there was, um, and then you wrote a thesis, mm -hmm. which was, which was, which I wrote on television, sports as a religion. So it was, it was, I compared it to religion. Um, and it's really not any different when you think about it. But yeah, so I did go to school for that. And then from CNN, I came home. My boss, who was a friend of mine named Jamie Morrison, who's still going at it pretty strong. I think he works for the Weather Channel now. He came up to New York and hired me as his intern in New York. And so I was, I interned at CNN Sports with, uh, they used to do, in the afternoons, they'd have cut-ins, I guess twice an hour. They'd, they'd do five minutes. Debbie Segura did it and Tom Kirkland. And Debbie Segura is married to Lou Dobbs from CNN um, mm -hmm. at the time. He's no longer, I think he's with Fox now. And um, so it was a wonderful experience. I mean, it was an amazing experience. I came out of school. I got a job at a place called Sports News Satellite, which was affiliated with Major League Baseball Productions. And it kind of went from there. And I met these two guys named George Roy and Steve Stern. And it was a very small production company, but I got to do things. The mm -hmm. first, they, they sent me out the first week I was there to interview an old broadcaster named Ray Scott for uh, HBO's Inside the NFL. Where are they now? And mm -hmm. it just kind of went from there and it steamrolled. And at a small company, it was just George, Steve, and me. I could do everything. And I learned and they trusted me. So I was a 22-year-old kid traveling mm -hmm. the country, <laughs> interviewing guys like Dean Smith, Mike Shashevsky going to the final four. It was amazing. It was an amazing thing. That and I like was kind job. of thrown in, right. And I was kind of thrown into the fire and, you know, I was making $300 a week. I would have done it for nothing. Everybody says that, but I would have. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was amazing. And it just kind of grew from there. So it's funny. So you said you worked on other different sports. So it was baseball and, and, and you said football as well, correct? Yeah, I did. I mean, we never did anything really with the NFL. We did a mm -hmm. bunch of things. Um, we did some baseball things. We did some stuff for the LA Dodgers. George and Steve at Black Canyon Productions got kind of famous because of uh, they did the Dodgers film in 1988 when Kirk Gibson hit the home run. And that, mm -hmm. that film won a bunch of awards. And they did the Dodgers history film two years later. And that kind of steamrolled into something called When It Was a Game which mm -hmm. was uh, an HBO documentary all done with home movies um, from the 30s, 40s, and 50s in baseball. So that was kind of, that was an amazing thing to work on. In the first three years that I was working there, we did these three shows and it was 
it was incredible. So um, we did we did the NCAA basketball film from mm-hmm. 1990, the official historical film. We would go out to the Final Four and film that. That was a dream come true. I sat on the baseline for 15 years. What I, I think I was at 16 Final Fours um, from 1990 to 2007, and I wasn't there in 2005. I missed one. And then they stopped doing them. It's sad. They don't do a, a really historical film anymore. But it was that was that was the best. I mean, I'd sit on the floor and interview the coaches and interview the players and that was fun. Absolutely. And once you once you got your first boxing gig, right? The first yeah. uh, project related to boxing, do you find did you find something different about the sport of boxing in comparison to like making movies or pro- projects on on different kinds of sports? And if yes, what differentiates it? Well, boxing, I think that I think that when you walk into a boxing gym for the first time, and for me I was 22 years old, there is a feel there is a uh, I'm thinking about it and I'm visualizing it in my mind there's a smell there's a you see the people working out there's a sound it's very it, it, it gets all your senses going and you walk in you're kind of looking around and you know I still to this day uh, I can't believe how these guys can do the speed bag it's I tried amazing. it once yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Not, Lennox, it's not Lennox Lewis taught me how to do it <laughs> One day he taught me how to do it. That was that, fun. But yeah. but there's just something about it. And the, the, I mean, now with the with the high def cameras, it looks even better because you have the mm-hmm. sweat coming off them and when they have the slow-mo stuff. But there was something about them. I was, um, they're very intelligent in general. They, they're, they're constantly thinking and they're constantly, um, and, and they're very, they're very good at articulating, and this is a generality, at mm-hmm. articulating what they do and how they do it, which isn't an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, especially over the last, especially over the last year and a half, when I've gotten back into it, it's like they've, um, I mean, they're brands now. They're not only, you know, they're not only. Errol Spence talks about this all the time. You know, you're uh-huh. not just a boxer; you're a brand. Errol Spence is a brand, and he needs to, you know take care of that at all times and right sean porter and deontay wilder and tyson fury and they've they, you you see it now and and it's a it's a much bigger more encompassing but still when you walk into that gym especially when you walk into a gym like keith thurman's gym in, in st pete which is just an old school gym it looks like it, it's 1950 in there you know right. if it rains you see the drippings from the ceiling because there's <laughs> holes in the ceiling and um and it's just it's just very special. And and ser- as mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it now, I'm imagining for 30 sure. days we walked into Mikey Garcia's gym, his brother Robert's gym, every day. And every day it was neat. Every day it was cool. I loved it. Every day he trained at four o'clock, and we'd get there at three thirty and wait for him. And it was just it was so. There's just something about it. There's just like it's mm-hmm. special. It's really, it's cool. It's special. And the fighters have been so welcoming. They've really welcomed us into these places, which is really, really nice. You know, the relate, and then you build relationships with these guys. You become, 
you know, throughout, I've been texting the guys. How are you guys? You holding up? Are you getting ready? You still training? When do you, you know, they, they want to know what we know, you know, have right. you heard anything? Are we coming back soon? Are we, mm-hmm. so, and you see it on Twitter. I'm sure you follow all the fighters on Twitter. They're dying to get back. Of course. And, you know, who knows when we can get, go back, uh, you know, to, to see events or anything like that. But, you know, if anything, the fighters are, you know, as far as I'm seeing, they need to stay ready because yeah. you never know when the next fight is going to happen. You know, some say yeah. it's going to be in yeah. May. Uh, we, there's the whole UFC thing with Dana White. He really tries to push it. And I feel like it's going to create a really great precedent, if not just like some sort of a synergy between boxing and UFC at the same time. Uh, but yeah. Uh, everyone is in anticipation and it's funny I'm, I'm watching you speak about it and I see that you're a very visual person you're visualizing a lot of things as you see as you speak about it which is which is very interesting to observe and what I'm thinking you know boxing it's well, so you have a thesis right you said TV as a religion and right now television sports Television yeah. sports is a religion. And I feel yeah. like with that, you sort of adopted the philosophy that you've been following for, uh, for a long time. And, 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 and I'm just guessing here, and I'll ask you to elaborate on that. But I, I feel like, how, what can you say about that? And, and obviously, like, it's, it's changing. The TV industry is changing with, the, with, the, with internet and, and YouTube and all of that. But I'm, I've, I've been fascinated by symbolism. You know, when I watch your work and I see some something something symbolic about it, and and maybe I can learn more about it right now. Like, what what do you try to portray, and how do you use your philosophy? Yeah, I think that what we're trying to do, and when people ask me what I do, you know, I say I'm a television producer. They go, "What does that mean?" I go, "I I tell stories. That's what I like to say. And you can't do it alone. You don't do it without great management with Scott and Craig, and you don't do it without great field producers and great cameramen and for, with Nick Rourke and Britt Brizoza have been shooting these now for the last four runs and you 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 put it all together but what I want to do in my mind I have great editors too I have Eric Barchi and Jonathan Nanberg who take everything that, that comes in it's like a jigsaw puzzle and you like you take all this stuff and you call from here and you call from there and you call from and you go back here and you grab something and they put it all together and they're just brilliant. And I think what we, what, what we try to do um, at five films is like, we are trying to tell the stories, give you some insight into who these people are. Boxing is just the platform. It's the platform. Right. We're trying to tell these human interest stories. And even when they're in the gym and they're working out in the sweats fly, uh, flying all over the place, and you have these beautiful visuals and they're put together so well by our editors, what happens is you're learning about them. You're learning who they are, what they are. And in a perfect world, and I don't think anybody did this better than in, in, in our run so far, Deontay has and, and Sean Porter were the two best at setting up an arc that over the course of the four episodes or with Deontay eight episodes, right. you really – learn something new about them each and every time. Um, Sean goes with Kenny, you know, Sean, his father, Kenny, they're, they're kind of a, a combination. And, and in episode three of, of the Sean, ep, uh, of the Sean Porter story versus, versus Errol Spence, um, Kenny got on him. It's an unbelievable scene. It's about six minutes long, five, six minutes long. And it's intense, but at the end of it, Kenny looks at him and goes, are you with me? And Sean says, always. And in the next episode, we talked about 
Sean says it wouldn't work any other way, but I wouldn't be as good a fighter with another trainer. My dad pushes me and he knows he can push me and he knows how far he can push me. And, and you, I mean, to me, that was just a great, a great opening up the curtain. So you could see what these guys are really like, what their relationship is really like. And that, that showed up with those two guys, uh, with Kenny and Sean Porter and with Deontay, because Deontay revealed so much with us. And a simple little scene with um, his aunt, you know, mm-hmm. just at his house, his aunt cooked dinner for him. Right. And um, with, with, with Joey and Chris, his, his, his brothers, they call each other brothers. They spent so much time together. And they are. They're, they're as close as brothers. And it's wonderful to see. And it's wonderful that, that, they, that they open their lives. Because it's not easy to do this for 30 days. It's not easy from... It's not easy from our standpoint. It's not easy from their standpoint. And when they do that, it kind of all comes together. And, and, and we're, we're telling their stories. That's what we're mm-hmm. trying to do and give you, a, a, you know, some insight into their mindset, some insight into to who they are. That's what we're trying to do. And so you mentioned that Deante and Sean, they, they, they really sort of give you that arc, right? And, and I'll tell you what, on, on the screen, it looks so beautifully and just perfect. Like it's you actually following, you know, you. A, a movie, right? It's a it's, it's beautiful story. But also I understand, you know, I, and I truly believe that it's a tremendous labor, right? It's, it's so difficult to actually make sure that it all comes together as just one beautiful painting. And so to what extent you said that they're, they were very helpful in that, but how did, like, do they... To what, like, do you have to sort of uh, navigate them and tell them, hey, this is what I'm trying to show. What can you offer me from your personal life, from your story? And, and then those boxes were like, oh, I know exactly what you guys need to do. Like, let's go to my aunt's place, for, for example. You know, I'm, I'm being super technical here. But, but like, is, is that something that you have to really, really work on with the fighter when you really try to under, let them understand what, what you're trying to do? I think that they know what we're trying to do. They, they've really all been through it for the most part. Some not on the level of a crew being with them for 30 days. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these shows have now been around since the mid-2000s, you know. So when, when the big fights come up, they know there's going to be an all-access show that mm-hmm. they're going to have to deal with. So they know. They know we're going to be there. They know they're going to have to tell their story. And, and in the perfect world, we are flies on the wall. We are not interfering with their schedules. Mm-hmm. We are not, we're not um, telling them to go do something. We are there and we're following them along. Mm-hmm. And some guys are better than others. You know, Deontay, the first time, um, it was a trust. You know, you have to build that trust up. And as, mm-hmm. as it got better, you know, as Jeff and he forged a relationship over week one, week two, they, it got better in week three and week four. And, 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 you know, mm-hmm. and after they see the shows then they go, Oh, I get what you're doing too. So mm-hmm. after the first week they see the show and they're like, I get it. I understand it. Right. And Sean was just really, really open. I mean, and, and not, not saying that the other guys weren't because Keith was great and Errol was great. And they, all Luis Ortiz was wonderful. He was mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, so they understand it. They, you know, we, we always say to them, if you need a day off from us, if this is a lot, because 30 days, you know, 20 of which we're shooting, we're going to be around for 30 days. It's a lot. Just tell us, 
just tell us. And they have. There have been the mm-hmm. guys who have told us that, guys, I need a day. I just need a day. I need to work. I need to focus. No cameras, no nothing. And we, we've done that. Mm-hmm. And we give them the day off and we come back. Usually it's a Friday, they'll, you know, and give me Friday, take the weekend and we'll be back on Monday. Luis Ortiz did that. And it was fine. It was great. And came back Monday, reinvigorated relationship was fine. Everything was good. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so they, yeah, they understand what we're doing and, you know, our questions are pointed. They're very pointed. So right. we know we go in there with a plan. It doesn't always, it doesn't always, um, you know, like, for example, Deontay says to, to Jeff one day, hey, I'm going to watch Joey. Joey's his, um, his, his, uh, one of his, his strength and fitness trainer. He goes, Joey trains. Joey was a, a, a track star in college, and, and he, he trains, he trains uh, Olympic guys trying to be Olympic athletes. Um, so they went to watch Joey's training. And it wound up being a nice poignant story about their relationship. Of course, everybody wanted a selfie with Deontay, you know, when they saw him sitting there and all the athletes came up to him. And, but that's just something that happens organically. You know, I'm going right. down there uh, in the first time, in the first episode with Deontay, Deontay goes, I'm going to go scuba diving in my pool. Come along. I mean, that was funny. Went, I, I was, I did was not amazing. expect that one. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> it was great. It was like, yeah. yeah like, Straight up from uh, like a Van Damme movie or something. Remember like under the, the, yeah. the swimming pool kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. 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 And he came out in that outfit and it's like, I remember looking at the footage and then the underwater footage. Oh my God. I mean, the guys were, the guys called me when they finished. Like, oh my God, you're not going to believe this stuff when you see it. I was wondering like whether it was his idea or he was basically his asked. Idea. Yeah. So that's his a, idea. incredible. His idea. We not are not pushing that. the guys to do anything that they wouldn't do. You know, we, they have a fight to worry about. Right. And we want to be a fly on their wall. They don't have you know, time they're for They're going to work out twice a day. They're going to work. They're going to do their strength and conditioning workout. They're going to do their boxing workouts. And then you just hope that they, they mm-hmm. let you go to their house and meet their wives and, and cook dinner. Or they go to the massage therapist or whatever they're doing. They, you know, like mm-hmm. we, great example was Luis Ortiz had a cheat day and he went to this Cuban restaurant in, in Las Vegas. And he had a big steak after three episodes of him eating, you know, broccoli that he hated. <laughs> and he was, he goes, I'm dreaming about a big steak. And then finally, you know, he went and had a steak on one of his days off. So, that's like the perfect world. That's like, right. you know, that's, that's, that's how the stories really come together. You know, speaking about the stories, I'm just thinking what, what really separates the stories about athletes such as boxers or UFC fighters, MMA fighters, is that in comparison to team sports, you really have this uh, protagonist-centric uh, story where it's one man against the yeah. other and the whole yeah. world is against you kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that's what makes you like it's kind of like very archetypical and it makes you associate yourself with this fighter. You see how this fighter works so hard to overcome all, all his difficulties and he is basically an every man and he gives this, he's given this opportunity and he tries to get this chance. And, and that's sort of that an emotion that I'm getting from when I'm watching uh, projects, when I'm watching your films. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. To what extent are you thinking about uh, those emotions that the viewer can Uh, can experience and what emotions are you trying to tap into when you're doing a movie like this? Yeah. um, 
I, I've talked to Aaron Cohen. He writes our opens, uh, the wonderful writer. He, he came from HBO and, and I'm, I'm sure you've, you've, you've seen his work. He writes our opens. He writes our final close at mm-hmm. the end of the show. And we always talk about the only other person in the world who can understand what you're going through is the other fighter. So I'm always thinking that. I'm always thinking about, okay, uh, here's Deontay in, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you know, working his, working his butt off. And Tyson is the only other person in the world, the only other one uh, who understands exactly what he's going through because he's doing the same thing in Las Vegas. And it's an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy, you know? So I'm always thinking about that relationship. I'm always thinking about, and when Aaron and I talk at the beginning of, um, of these things and we get each other's ideas and when his final s- script comes through for the opens and the closes, I'm, I'm always blown away by, you know, how he's taken what I've thought in my head and what he thinks in his head and does his research and I do my research and it kind mm-hmm. of all comes together. But it's always like, you know, this mano a mano. And by the time we get to, you know, for Tyson Fury and, and Deontay Wilder, you know, everything that they do, everything from mm-hmm. they started about January 1st, really, both of them to February 22nd. Um, and of course, they're training a little bit before, but they go into their full camps January 1st, maybe a little late for a, 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 a um, for a because of the holidays, but I mean, they're in camp for eight weeks, nine weeks, 10 weeks, whatever it is. But the only other person who understands that and the only other person who has February 22nd circled on the calendars is, is the opponent. Right. And, um, you're right. Even the, you know, that they have their camps around them, they have their trainers and their nutritionists and their strength and conditioning coaches, and they're all there to help them. But the mindset, when, when you get in that ring, it's just you and Mm -hmm. it's just him. And it's face to face, mano a mano, and it's a really it's an amazing, amazing thing. And um, you try to tell the stories as best as you can in a different way, but ultimately, it's just you know one guy versus the other guy, and mm-hmm. you hope that you get that magic. And boxing usually winds up delivering that. Absolutely, and, and two things I really liked about uh, uh, several segments with uh, Deontay Wilder. There was one where he's actually said it straight to the camera. He's like, "Listen, I know like this is all entertainment or boxing, or but I'm like sometimes I'm getting tired. Like this is very very hard." And I and I really like when you like with, that you included that that the boxer says like, "Listen, it's it's hard, okay? Like, and I'm just a human being, and 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 so just just basically being real talk with us, the audience." Uh, yeah. really helps and also like the, another segment that I like the, the fact that you know a boxer is demotivated but still he still kind of goes up there and does his thing it's not it's not the cliche ones like oh if you're struggling you still go for it it's, it's mostly like tell me the truth that you're a human being and sometimes you're lazy and I like that aspect of that and one thing in particular I also liked and I, and I wonder what, what do you uh, what's your opinion on that is there was a segment where Deontay in Alabama he went to a shooting wrench to a gun wrench and I was like, and I was also, I'm seeing like, well, it's, it doesn't look like he, he, he does it often. You know, it kind of seemed like he did, he did it maybe like it's one of his first times or something like that. But at the same time, I'm thinking like, okay, like, so that, then why does he do it? And, and you say that you guys are not kind of making them do it. So I'm thinking, is he probably trying to tap, because he's from Alabama and Alabama is very gun centric, you know, pro gun or whatever. 
And, and so I'm thinking, is he trying to tap into that uh, segment of the population to watch his fights to show that he's, you know, that he's into guns as well? So that's, no. if we're putting on the executive hat and trying to like market the fight, do you think that was the, the part of it as well? No, no. And, and Mikey Garcia did the same thing. And, and what both of them said about it was, it's just something to get their heads away from, from uh, the, the, the total focus of February 22nd or, or March 17th for Mikey. It's like, it, it, you, can't, you can't live this 24-7. You can't. You have to get it out of your mind whether it's, you know, whether you're swimming or whether you're running or whether you're in the gym and it's all you're thinking about for, you know, 60 days, 90 days, you have to do other things. And that's what that was. I mean, no politics, no, no nothing. Both of them, both of them talked to, uh, Mikey spoke to me directly about it because I was out there and he spoke to Jeff about it. But the, the, I want to go back to, to something you said about, um, uh, Deontay saying how tired he was. I remember Jeff calling me right afterwards. He says, God, he was so human. It was so real. It was so yeah. like, it was a Monday morning and you know, he had been traveling, pro- doing some promotion for the fight. And he came in, he said, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to do this right now, but I'm the champion of the world and no one's going to push me to do it. And nobody's going to make me do it, but I have to do this so I can mm-hmm. be ready on, on February 22nd. And, I remember Jeff saying exactly what you said. He said it was such a human moment. And Jeff hears it in, you know, when Deontay says to him right away, you know, oh, man, I don't want to be here this morning. And Deontay said it right on camera and Mm -hmm. then pushed himself through the workout. And that's the stuff. That's the stuff that's really when you get that 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 human element that that, you know, uh, when Tyson's with his brothers and they're just sitting at the table and they're messing around and and. I mean, that's the stuff that makes, makes things special. Those little small moments and, you know, I mean, the montages are great and they look beautiful, but it's those, it's those things that really humanize the fighters that, that, you know, that we're proud that, that, that we get those moments and they come along with trust. They do, they come along, you know, when you're working with Deontay for, we worked with Deontay really for uh, four months in a row, basically, because, we did the, the Ortiz fight with him. Uh, Jeff and, and, and Nick, uh, the cameraman, and, and Matt, who's the assistant cameraman, went to the, the Vatican, with, right. um, which you saw in the first episode. They traveled to Italy to meet the Pope and to do some other things in Italy, which was just I was so amazing. surprised that, that that happened. That literally, <laughs> that, that, that literally that's, that's Jeff Newton just working through the night with Shelly Finkel making things happen and Shelly Finkel calling Deontay and saying, Hey, do you mind if these guys come? And Deontay said, absolutely. And that's about trust. And that's about mm-hmm. relationships that Jeff built with, with Deontay and his crew. And, and that's as important as anything we do, you know, building the relationships. It's, it's Tell me about it. How do you establish yeah. those, that, that trust and those relationships with fighters, especially we, the new ones that you don't know? Yeah. So, so what we do is, is, Myself and the field producer get on the phone with the fighter or the fighter's person depends on, on the crew. You know, each guy's different. Some guys get on the phone with you. Some guys don't. And um, you try to meet with them when you first get down there. So you have a call with them. You try and meet with them when you first get down there. And you just say, here's what we'd like to do. 
what would you like to do? Here's what mm. we're trying to convey. Now, now, giving them control. Yeah, and we've done five of these now. We've done five of the fight camps, and we've done 35 hours worth of not not 35 hours, but 35 shows. I was in the middle of uh, Jamal James and Thomas Delorme, which uh, we finished the show, but we're gonna have to go back and fix it when when that fight happens, um, which was supposed to be April 11th. Um, so, so that was the 35th show. We were in production for the 36th show. And, um, you know, one of the guys, they literally started to film. They filmed with one of the guys and then the other guy, and I don't remember who it was, uh, was exposed to somebody with COVID oh, and wow. he went into quarantine for 14 days. So he never shot with the second, with the second guy. Uh, they were right. young up and comers. The PBC was promoting for a, for an FS1 show. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just about, so, th so they know who we are at this point. We've been doing mm -hmm. this for 18 months. The fighters know us, the guys that we go back to, like I said, I mean, I've been texting Jamel Charlo. Hey, how nice. you doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, Jamal James crew. I've been texting with Thomas Delorme. Those guys, Delorme, Thomas Delorme and, and Jamal James literally were in, training camp away from home mm -hmm. so uh, jamal james went up um in minnesota he went about two hours north and tomas delorme moved from la to um to uh uh where coachella is um i'm blanking on the name right now but uh where joel diaz the diaz brothers are and he went and rented an apartment lived up there mm -hmm. and jamal james literally lives in the gym they literally live in the gym uh, that mm -hmm. they work out at. So he can be focused. They get up at 4.30 in the morning, run in the snow and the, and the 18 degree weather. And mm -hmm. um, so these guys had, had given, you know, that they, they changed their whole lives and sacrificed everything. And they're in the middle and they were still, you know, they're, they don't know what's going on. They just don't, you know, they don't know when they're coming back. They're in the middle of training for an April 11th fight. And there's something scientific about their approach. You know, they go in right. for eight weeks and you taper it down at the end and it right. changes everything. This and has the, changed, I mean, change everything for everybody. But, but here's what know. I'm, here's what I'm curious about is that it's one thing to invite the crew in full year round and just film, film them, film yourself. Right. But also what I'm seeing how boxers are opening up. Right. And, and obviously behind the scenes, someone behind the actual camera lens, there's someone sitting there asking them those questions and yeah. the boxers are trusting you enough to actually really open up uh, basically to a stranger who you're no longer view as a stranger because you know, somehow you trust this person to actually go yeah. deep. And this, this yeah, 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 those yeah, yeah, are yeah. the things where you're like, you're tapping into that emotion where I'm like, Oh, like I'm actually looking yeah. into his soul. Like, and that's what, you know, make me root for him yeah. and make me true for him. So those are like, uh, how, uh, how do you do this? Yeah. Thing? Well, I'm going to tell you a story that Jeff told me. Um, the first week that they filmed with Deontay Wilder, um, uh, they asked Jeff to just ride along with, them in the car and they say and they asked not to have the camera in the car which happens you know it's it's a lot they were they had been traveling they traveled to birmingham to get us uh, the scuba equipment which is in the show and um so they said uh i think it was chris bates and 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 deontay and they just asked jeff about his history as a television producer and jeff comes from 60 minutes 
mm-hmm. and has spent time in Afghanistan and, mm-hmm. and overseas and, and producing <laughs> war. I mean, seen, like, he's seen some stuff. They said, Jeff said that that, that 60 minute conversation, not on camera, was as important as anything that, that he shot with them because it gave, it gave Jeff credibility with them. Mm-hmm. They got to know who Jeff was. I mean, Jeff knows who they are, you know, at least from research, at least from, you know, there's no research on Jeff Newton for the most part. So when he told them stories about, and Jeff has great war stories, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, being shot at, and you know, watching with these, he said that the camera lens was so big and so, um, it was so amazing that it was better than binoculars. I mean, the camera lens could see further than the binoculars could see. So, uh, that Jeff said that 60 minutes of riding with, with Deontay and talking about that stuff, like that's how you establish it. You know, Mikey, mm-hmm. um, invited me up to his house the night before we started filming mm-hmm. and we talked and we talked and, and I was with my cameraman, Britt Brizosa and, Britt said, Hey, Mikey, you got a, a Dodge, you got a Dodge Challenger. Can I see it? It's all souped up. And yeah. Mikey, Mikey, and that's in the first show uh, or the second show. I don't remember. Uh, Mikey changed it to a Dodge champion and he literally had Dodge come, you know, like little moments like that yeah. where we went and saw the cars and we were BSing about this and be, you know, and he had the guns out and we started talking about the guns and that's how <laughs> that came about. And, you know, you have commonalities. He has kids. I have, you know, like you find some kind of commonality and you, and you, and you, you hope that you hit it off. It it doesn't always work that way. Mm -hmm. Errol Spence is a great guy, but he's very private. He's Mm -hmm. very private. Like we had, we had some nice scenes with him and the kids, but Errol Spence's life is about that gym and Mm -hmm. he does not give you as much access as the other guys. And it's fine. You know, this, this is what he does. You know, he plays video games and he, and he boxes. That's what right. he does. And, you know, um, yeah, you go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, and that's, I, for, but, but Sean Porter, I'll let you film anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the way, it's just the way that they are. It's just the way, you know, and we're, and we're very cognizant of how hard it is too. So, I mean, we are not with them. You know, we're not with them from the time they wake up until the time they go to sleep. We're not. You know, it would be an impossibility for us. It would be an impossibility for them. So mm-hmm. you, you've got to take the access that they give you and, and do the best you can with that. And, and, and I think we do a pretty good job of it. I hope we do. Yes. And, and I was just thinking like about Errol Spence, if you know, you knowing him, how do you think he's feeling right now? You know, because he had that uh, accident, the, 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 the car accident, yeah. he needs to come back to the ring and, and, you know, having worked with him, like, do you think to what extent he's actually, you know, prepare, preparing himself? Can you, can you share anything about what you know about him to like, to speculate on how he trains right now and, and whether, you know, he's taking it twice as seriously or what kind of yeah. approach he's taking? Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to Derek James. I've seen him a couple times because I did some stuff with the with uh, Jermel Charlo. So I and I saw Derek out at the uh, Wilder Fury fight. Uh, Derek is is his trainer, mm-hmm. and um, I think the answer is yes. You know, I think the answer is. I hope it's. You know, it's amazing about that morning. I woke up that morning and he had something on Instagram about his pit bulls, and I literally took my phone out. Like, wait, when I wake up, it's mm-hmm. a normal 
it's a normal morning. I think we're getting, my daughter goes to school at 7 a.m. on normal mornings and mm-hmm. I help get her ready. She's, she's a senior in, in high school and um, get her out of the house. And, but I, I woke up, I looked on Instagram that morning and um, he had something about pit bulls, that mm-hmm. he had pit bulls. And I didn't know that. And I said, oh my, I wrote myself a note. Great. Let's get Errol with the pit bulls for next time, you know? Oh, nice. Um, You're taking so notes. I wrote That's a cool insight. A note, and that was the morning that, yeah, I, I put all my notes on my phone. You know, I sometimes That's... I write. When I'm doing the shows, I have these pads. And if you, I mean, I have a pad here and right. I have pads, pads here and I have pads and pads and pads. Uh-huh. Um, but it's but, a great insight like that, that yeah, you're so, constantly so I working. I get up in the morning. I'm constantly thinking about things because I know that we're going to, I know that we're going to work with Errol Spence again. I know we're going to work with Deontay Wilder again. I have, I have every story written about Deontay Wilder. Uh, not every, but I mean, anyone that I saw, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, I, mm-hmm. I emailed them all to myself and I have a file uh, on my work email that when we start the project, I will go back to and I will read everyone and make notes and um, mm-hmm. who knows what I'll get out of the, you know, all the things right. that happened the last time. But so that's what I was thinking that morning. And then when I, then when I heard the news and when you see the video of that crash, mm-hmm. right. And you, you see him flying out of the car and you just, it's, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. Mm-hmm. And thank God uh, that he's alive. And, and I'm, I, I met Errol once. Uh, and so polite and so respectful. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Derek James. I, I think Derek James is one of the classiest guys in this business. And um, I think I think that I think yes, I think he's going to learn his lesson from it. And I, I think he will. I think he will. I don't know if he's going to train twice as hard because you know that's kind of cliche. But I think that he will get his mindset right and 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 mm-hmm. learn a valuable lesson from the fact because if I. I think that if his body wasn't thrown from the car, I don't think he would have survived that crash. I mean, the mm-hmm. car was turning and it, 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 it's scary. It's really scary to, when you see that video. Absolutely. I, uh, going, to, going back to the Luis Ortiz and Deontay Wilder, I in particular paid attention to that film because Luis Ortiz is not, a, is not an English speaker. And I've had an opportunity to work as an interpreter. I'm a Russian speaker with some of the fighters that speak Russian. And, and I understand how hard it is for a production crew or for yeah. press or for interviewers yeah. uh, to work with people who don't speak the language. Um, what, can, what kind of insight can you share about that? Maybe some strategies or to what extent that was a difficulty for you guys and how did you go around that difficulty of working with someone who does not speak English? Yeah, so it automatically adds two layers to our, um, to our production. We have to have an interpreter in the field and we have to have an interpreter back in the office to, to you know, translate for, for us. For subtitles. So, for subtitles, right. And it's harder and it takes more time. Mm-hmm. And you always kind of, oh, he's, he, it makes it harder for us. It does. Mm-hmm. So it's something that, you know, you, you immediately have to think about. You immediately have to, um, you, you, you immediately have to plan for it. But mm-hmm. with Luis, um, what was great about him from the minute that we started with him, um, and we did not speak to him on the phone. Uh, Lanny did meet with them the day before they started training. 
And you immediately saw in him that there's this gleam in his eye and he's funny and he's engaging. And it all came across, even though he didn't speak the language. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, with him, it did. And, and we had our translators out in the field. And, um, and it, it, it's helpful. And back in the office, uh, we, we, we have a translator who literally spends the beginning of the morning as the footage comes in, you know, here's what he talked about. We don't do long interviews. We only mm -hmm. do the one long interview at the beginning. That's, that's for Curran's countdown show that he does. And then, and then we, um, we're doing a lot of just fill in work. You know, we do mm -hmm. five minute interviews, 10 minute interviews as the scenes are happening. That's the style that we do. There's not a lot of long sit downs. I think the longest one we've ever done is Deontay sat and talked the first day for like 25 minutes. They just got on a roll. Um, but the longest one of those I've ever done was like, I did Tony Harrison got on a roll. It's like 18 minutes long and it was all good stuff. And his son came in the middle of it, but mm -hmm. you know, you just try and keep it to a minimum. You got to turn these around fast. Something right. that we haven't talked about. We're turning these around, you know, sometimes, the next morning, you know, we'll shoot a scene at night in Las Vegas and we get the footage overnight. The editor comes in and by two o'clock, he's got a scene cut. That's amazing. I mean, that's that, that I marvel at it and I'm part of it. And I, I'm like, God, how did we do that? You know, we have three <laughs> minutes cut. They shot it at 11 o'clock in Las impressive. Vegas last night. Yes. Right. And we're turning this stuff around and, and, and that's the, that's the thing that's, we're not a big crew. We're not a big crew of people. You know, there's, there's six people who are out in the field for us and there's, you know, 15 people total in the office, you know? Um, and there's, there's really two people in the edit room, uh, the editor and, and the producer and, and I bounce back and forth between the two of them and kind of look at, I mean, so it's like, it's, there's not that many people. So, mm. um, it, it's, it's pretty amazing that, how quickly we turn these around and we know what we're getting into, but you know, it becomes part of your landscape and it becomes part of, you know, all right, let's, you gotta, you gotta think that over the course of the five days that we have to put this together, you, each side's got to come up with about 11 minutes mm -hmm. of content, you know, and winds up being about nine and a half, 10 minutes by the time you do an open and a close. And, and so that that that's the most daunting task Got that it. that that time frame and mm -hmm. and when you're and when you're with somebody who lets you shoot a lot like a Sean um and you're shooting you know Sean at times we'd have three four things happen in a day and there was stuff that we just couldn't even get to because there's so much of it that we have to pick the best of the best and mm -hmm. and and you don't get a chance to go through everything. You you just don't. It's impossible. Right. And and you know the reason I'm always always asking like right now I ask you about the the interpretation stuff as well is that I feel like I just had a podcast yesterday with the, with the Ukrainian guy uh, in Russian. We talked for an hour and a half, which is incredible when you're talking to a professional boxer, you know, and he wants to tell you his life story. And it's just such a great stuff. And I will definitely post that in Russian for the Russian media to see, to the, for the Russian viewer to see, or Ukrainian. But I also want to show, and it's, it's, a, it's a 17 and 0 boxer, 17 knockouts, WBC intercontinental champion. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, I feel like, how can I 
I want to subtitle the whole thing and maybe I want to dub myself speaking in English, you know, asking those questions. But I also understand that, you know, the viewers, they don't want to read subtitles uh, for an hour and a half. And, and I'm thinking, I'm trying to come up with the ways, like how can I grab their attention? Maybe like break this down by several parts or something like that. But yeah, those are the things that I'm like all of a sudden realizing yeah. Yeah, how to make sure that yeah. it's interesting for the viewer. So, so when we did... Um, and we did for at the beginning of the year, we did uh, your Dennis Ugas versus Mike Dallas. And it was a half hour show. And your Dennis was going to be the Ugas was going to be the main focus of the show. So um, it was going to be weighted more towards him. Mm-hmm. And Scott Boggins came to us. He's our he's the executive producer, the owner of the company. And he said, what do you guys think of doing uh, mm-hmm. a voice, you know, a voice of Ugas, so to speak? To mm. instead because you know, I think a voiceover right a Spanish mm. uh, an interpretation of what he was saying and we did mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. because I mean it would have been of the 22 minutes you know 15 minutes would have been because he was wonderful and he told the story all in the first person and the interview was great it was just so well told you know from from everything that he he grew up with in Cuba to where he is now. And it was very important that we told that story because he Mm -hmm. did it so well in the first person. So that's what we did. We used a voiceover. We used somebody, you know, he'd start talking. HBO always did it like that. They always did. Um, Mm -hmm. We just chose to do the subtitles. Uh, I think it's fine in in short spurts. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you said, you know, even reading 15 minutes worth of subtitles, it's a lot. It's a lot Mm -hmm. to it's asking the viewer to engage in something that they're not usually asked to do. And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you can lose your focus. It's just yeah, another, you exactly. want to keep that, that constant attention. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe you want to break it up into pieces that that might help or, yeah. or you, you dub in a voice. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. But yeah, I mean, I'm surely, you know, starting to realize how, how, how hard it is to, to make sure. Yeah. And that's kind of like my, the theme of my show well, not like the overall, but like I always ask about foreign fighters. You know, when I when I speak about when I speak with professionals, uh, I speak a lot about marketing and how do you market a, a fighter, yeah. especially if he's coming from abroad. Like I feel like language is definitely uh, at least fifty percent of the marketing success. It's, it's where a fighter speaks the language, it makes things much easier. Yeah, and which which yeah. made which, which made Tyler uh, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder production. You know the whole atmosphere, the whole promotion, so much more colorful. You know because because not only Deontay Wilder provided so much great content and so much great personality, but also all of a sudden you have this guy from Great Britain coming come, coming over and basically taking over the whole show. Yeah. Uh, to what extent yeah. did you have an opportunity to sort of interact with him and work, or with, whether or was it like a part of another team who worked with him? Uh, what can you tell about him? With Tyson? Yeah, Tyson Fury. Uh, I was not out in Las Vegas. Lanny Levine was out in, in Las Vegas with his team. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we work, we, we do these shows for the PBC and, um, and Fox. Now, mm-hmm. Tyson, you know how hard this is to get two organizations together. Tyson was signed with top rank top in rank. ESPN. Mm-hmm. So it was... It was um, just to get the deal made, you know, just to get the deal made with Bob Arum and, and, and Al was hard. It was hard Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. did it. And then we kind of come along with it and they were wonderful. You know, we, we spoke to people. um, We spoke to 
the people at top rank first. Mm-hmm. And um, then we started speaking to uh, his camp. Um, and they, they were wonderful. Um, they did say right away that no one was coming into the gym to mm-hmm. watch us train. And they kept to that. Uh, it was a little hard for us. And obviously it showed in what happened on February 22nd. But mm-hmm. that was the hardest thing for us with Tyson, that nobody was allowed in the gym. But, but he didn't let any crews in the gym. He didn't let anybody. So we got a lot of personal moments with him and a lot of fun moments with him mm-hmm. at home, back at the house, or just out on a run. or at He'd let us do his strength and conditioning workouts, which were crazy. They were, they were hard. And we had one of those in each of the shows. And they were they were good. They were intense. And it kind of made up for the fact that we didn't have anything in the gym. Um, Cause that's where Deontay shines in the gym. I mean, when you're watching him hit the bag and you're seeing that bag and you're hearing that heavy bag and he's hitting the mitts and he's breaking the mitts mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, kind that of was amazing, a, it, but, it was a very effective footage, especially with the, with the body suit and all. Yeah. Yeah. And, cool. and, and, and he had literally broken Jay's rib, which is incredible. And, oh and so, yeah, I mean, with the bodysuit. So, um, but Tyson gave us a lot more personal moments back at the house, playing pool with his guys on a Friday night, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, and how competitive you saw how competitive he was in a right. simple pool game. Um, again, these are the things that were, that were special. When I went out to Las Vegas to, film the night of the fight and I had never met any of them. Um, they were all very classy. They were all very respectful. And I thanked them for all, you know, their, their access. And, and they were, they were, um, they were fun to work with. They were really fun. It was an interesting crew of people. It was, um, and everything that, that he said came to fruition. It was kind of amazing. It was, yeah, just, that was crazy. I, yeah. It was like, and, and I guess he just didn't want to show anything in the gym that, that, you know, that, that was going to come out that night. And, mm-hmm. you know, you thought, uh, you thought maybe uh, this guy, you know, his plan, it, it, it's like, a, it was like a mad scientist and it just all kind of just came together and, and, and everything, you know, fit together perfectly for, for him that night. And, and uh, that one was, that one was, you know, we knew, because of it was going to be on Fox, it was going to be on ESPN. It was top rank. It was PBC. And to get everyone together, that one, you know, had a little bit more of a magnifying glass on it. Mm -hmm. And it was really, you know, it was a lot for us to kind of digest it first, but ultimately we just kind of did the same thing that we always do. And like I said, I hope we do it well. I think we do it well. And, um, and it was cool. It was really cool because it was everywhere. It was as right. I, as I walked into the um, arena on uh, the weigh-in day Friday. Um, they were playing our episodes. They played all four episodes for the for the fans, right. um, and everybody was just kind of looking up. And it was on three different screens. It was on the scoreboard. It was on two big screens, and it was being filtered through the arena. It was really neat. It was really. As a matter of fact, I called everyone in the office and I video and i showed it to them i called our voiceover guy to tell him i said you know your voice is coming through it's just neat you know to see it on this 40 foot screen in the middle mm-hmm. of the area it was great was like, any it, any of the footage for, from uh from that promotion was was it used in the super bowl commercial uh for the fight any any of no the no okay. they do that they did that separately got it 
they did that. They did that stuff separately, and they ran that all over the place. And that's great, and I I love that stuff. But that that's done. I think that's done very early on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not. We come in about four to five weeks from the time of the fight, and then we and we usually leave the week the week that they leave for the fight. So mm-hmm. that's just the way. That's just the way that 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 it works out. But no, we weren't privy to any of that. And it's great. It always looks great. Um, they're fun. Those, those, those commercials are fun. And for the oh, Super Bowl, yeah. I think it was on six to eight times or something like that. Yeah. Which was great. It was, yeah, it was uh, a lot of slots we're, we're, we're taking for, for, for that, yeah. for that game. But yeah, Eric, we're coming up to an hour of our conversation and I feel like, you know, you've, you've contributed so much to my podcast just by sharing your experience. And I just really want to thank you for, for your time. Yeah, thank you, Azizi. It's really, I mean, this was fun. I, I, I always, uh, like you were pacing, believe me, I was nervous all day thinking about it too. And it, it <laughs> seems like so it's been five minutes. So. I, and I, I, I so appreciate that you said that. And, I, and I'm hoping we can maybe stay in touch and in the future Absolutely. we can record something Anytime. else as well. Anytime. Anytime. I'd love to do this again. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you. Thank you so much.